All right, praise the Lord. Are you all feeling good today? I am too. I just finished two huge papers, and so I feel like, oh, my brain is free. And so, I know, tomorrow's a new day and two more classes, and it all begins again, but I'm enjoying today. That's right. I said, we need to go on a hike today. It's only 50, but I need to cleanse myself and get into nature. Uh, so this morning, I'm actually preaching the message that I preached in Petersburg on Easter. And so you might think, oh, a second resurrection. No, I, it was a little different, and it really just, it really ministered to me and spoke to me. And so a part of that I want to preach this morning. And so we are going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 24 this morning. This is actually Resurrection Day. And so at the beginning of chapter 24, obviously Jesus has just come out of the tomb. And, and that takes us to verse 13, where we're looking at the account on the road to Emmaus. And I had so much fun when I was reading this. And so we're going to take a few moments just to read through this account of the road to Emmaus. So Luke 24, 13. Now behold, two of them, disciples, were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. This is about a two-hour walk. And they talked together of all these things which had just happened, the crucifixion of Jesus and, and so on. After they, had t- after they talked together of all these things which had happened, so it was, while they confer- conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So they're walking along, and all of a sudden there's a third man Jesus likes to appear, right? And suddenly he's there. In verse 16, but their eyes were restrained so they, they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And so then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? He's like, What planet have you been living on? How do you not know what has been going on in this town? And so Jesus said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us, 
When they did not find his body, they came saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay, I want to pause there because I find this fascinating that here are two of his disciples and they're still disheartened over his death. They're still having that disillusionment over the death of Christ. What did they say? We were hoping that this was the one that was going to come and redeem Israel. They had hoped he would be the Messiah. So why is it that these two are walking away from Jerusalem to another town? I think it's this disillusionment. We gave years to following this Christ that we thought was the Messiah. And then he was killed. That was a good season while it was running, but now it's over. And they're leaving to go back to whatever it was they were doing before Jesus. And yet, in the midst of that, they know he is alive. I'm trying to connect these dots, how they are not connecting them. I mean, Jesus does have to begin to connect them, doesn't he? He takes them back through the Old Testament prophecies concerning himself. Because they weren't connecting that. They weren't connecting the, the fact that he was going to Rise, overcome death. They, they still had not, even though they had gone and seen that the body was gone, even there was angelic visitation they'd encountered and still, still they were sad. There was no rejoicing like we rejoice on Easter morning. Resurrection, yes. No, they were still sad. And Jesus is like, why are you sad? They should all be happy, right? I'm alive. And yet, why are you all sad? He's asking them that question. And so in verse 28, they drew near to the village where they were going. And he, Jesus, indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And here we have the powerful moment. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he didn't hang around, he vanished from their sight. Wow. It wasn't back when they were on the road and Jesus was connecting the dots through the word. 
they still were not getting it, even as Jesus laid out the prophecies. It wasn't until Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and broke it that they saw their Savior. Now, the amazing thing about this moment is that it was not a special dinner. It was not like the Last Supper, the night before Jesus died, where they were celebrating Passover. So it was not one of the feast meals. It was not one of the miraculous meals where in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus took the took the food and, and blessed it and passed it out. It was not a miraculous moment, meal. It was just a meal. They extended hospitality to Jesus. They shared their food. And coming from a history of years of being disciples of Jesus and sharing multiple meals, it is in this common moment with this common meal and common bread that Jesus is revealed to them. Wow. I don't know about you, but every time I read that, I get chills. Wow. Wow. In the commonness of the life came the uncommon revelation of the Savior. And so if we continue to read, they begin to talk to one another again. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So something was happening on the road. The burning, there was something in his heart. They didn't understand. I don't understand what this is. And sometimes it's like that with the Lord. I don't know what is happening. I just know something is happening. And so the process began on the road. And and can I I just say, uh, this was a side bunny trail I took with the Petersburg Church as well. Because, you know, I think you have to be so careful with what you're doing and what you're saying as you're walking along in life. Because you never know who might be listening. (laughs) Right? They had no idea that their Savior was listening to the conversation that they were having with one another. We never know who's listening. And, And we know that Jesus, he's living in us, he's with you. You, you, you think it's in secret, you're talking to someone, but Jesus knows all. <laughs> so we ought to be careful about what we speak. I think especially about other people. Because we're talking about the people that Jesus died for. And so we must be cautious in our speech because the Savior is listening. There's a little side trail for you. So they rose up in verse 33, and what did they do? They returned to Jerusalem. They left in disillusionment. Now they have the encounter with the Christ, and back they go to Jerusalem. They found the 11, and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. 
He has appeared to Simon, and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them. Where? On the road? No, it says in the breaking of the bread. In the breaking of the bread. It was the breaking of the common bread in which Jesus presides that the common becomes uncommon. And it's not just seen here. There are time and time again, Jesus, in fact, they accused Jesus of being a drunkard and a glutton. He spent so much time eating with people. And and not just the disciples. He spent a lot of time eating with the sinners and the rejects of society. Where do you find Jesus? Where did he go again? The disciples are saying to one another, oh, wait, he's hanging out with the tax collectors again. He seems to prefer to hang out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Mary Magdalene, I know that sounds bad coming out of my mouth. (laughs) But the interesting thing is that Mary Magdalene, you know, was the one that was still at the foot of the cross. Common becomes uncommon in the breaking of bread with Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, it, it talks about that. Jesus reclining with many tax collectors and sinners. And again, he was, he was eating with the religious ones when, when Mary came in to anoint his feet and prepare him for, for death. It, it's... It's in chapter 7. Now, one of the Pharisees even was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered, even as he so often said some pretty harsh things to the Pharisees because he detested their religiosity. Yet here we have a Pharisee that is saying, Jesus, come into my home. And Jesus comes and dines with him. We see Zacchaeus, right, in a tree. I heard them in Sunday school this morning. They were singing Zacchaeus, right? And they were substituting their names into it. (laughs) What did he say to Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, let's go to church with one another. No, he said, Zacchaeus, let's let's go have some tea. Well, that's what our song says. I want to come to your house, Zacchaeus. I want to come and break bread with you. And Zacchaeus was forever changed. His common life became uncommon when the Savior came to his table. When Peter denied Jesus, right? Do you remember that? When Jesus had been arrested and the little maiden girl says, Hey, Peter, don't you follow? No, I don't know him. He denied Jesus, right? And after Jesus' death, Where does he go back to? Fishing. He goes back to his old lifestyle. And there comes the moment when they're out fishing and Jesus is on the shore and Jesus cooks breakfast for them. And it's at the breakfast table that the Lord says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. 
Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. It's at the breakfast table that Peter's common life, because that's what he did. He went back to a common lifestyle, pulling fish out of the water. He'd left aside the identity that Jesus had given him to be a fisher of men. And he had gone back to just common fishing. And then at the breakfast table, Jesus restores him out of the common life back into an uncommon life. And Peter was forever changed at the breakfast table of Jesus. There is something that happens when there's the breaking of bread with Jesus. And isn't it interesting that what he says to Peter is, go feed my sheep. I don't know what it is about the eating and the breaking of bread, but I know there's something that happens over a table with one another. And when it's Jesus presiding over the table, when because you're a follower of Jesus, now Jesus presides over your table, your table now becomes this table of the Lord where uncommon things can happen. I love that Jesus is coming into our common places because you know what? I live a common life. You know, I raised four kids. There was nothing overly spectacular about that, except that they all are spectacular children. (laughs) That's because of Jesus. But, you know, when I woke up every morning and I had a bunch of little ones, you want to think that your common life is, and I don't, I'm afraid of sounding like I'm romanticizing our common life. But as a mom, you know, back in that day, it didn't feel romantic. It was exhausting and hard work. And then you throw some homeschooling in on top of it. It didn't, it was not very romantic, right? And so I'm not romanticizing this, but I'm saying there comes a moment when you invite Jesus into your breakfast of Cheerios with your children. And into your breakfast, we ate a lot of oatmeal. Into our breakfast of oatmeal. And suddenly your life is not common. It's uncommon. Because the presence of Jesus is at your table. And so often, people compartmentalize their life. That's my church. I go to church on Sundays. That's my spiritual life. No. Every night that you break bread, every afternoon that you break bread, every morning that you break bread, it is Jesus in your life. And, and there's no separation of, oh, it's just a Sunday morning thing. That's just religion. I have a relationship with the one, right, that saved me. And so Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if I'm sweeping up Cheerios, if I'm making coffee, if I'm, I'm you know, picking dead things off the stuff at the church, if I'm picking up stuff around the church that nobody else is seeing, right? And I just said to Candace this morning, I said, I feel like I'm at home picking up stuff, straightening stuff this morning. 
It's common stuff. But when Jesus comes in, it's no longer common. You have an uncommon life. And so in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has left. He has ascended into heaven, right? The disciples watched him go up into heaven. And he said to them, I want you now to go and to wait for the promise of the Father, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so that takes us to the start of the new church in Acts, in the book of Acts. And so in Acts chapter 2, after they are all filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, who now is living an uncommon life and preaching the gospel and seeing thousands in one day come to Christ. Would you say that's an uncommon life? Yes. And so at the end of that, we see this surge of salvation into the kingdom of God. And at the end of chapter 2, in verses 46 and 47, so continually, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I think that we underestimate the power of a meal in which Jesus presides over. They broke bread from house to house. They ate. This wasn't just sharing of communion. They sh- their communion was a meal. They shared a meal together. And as they shared meals, one with another, the kingdom increased. The kingdom doesn't just increase because you come to church on a Sunday morning. It increases when you take the bread that you have in your hand. You invite Jesus to preside over it, and you share it. And this is why it is, it is in the New Testament written to be hospitable to one another. In fact, even as a leader, it's one of the qualifications. To be a leader, you must be hospitable. It's not reserved for leaders. And in fact, it says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, I know how this is. See, I enjoy hospitality. I enjoy having people in my home and cooking for them. I enjoy that. When my family comes over, I'm finding out, because my family always has some kind of dietary, strange dietary thing, and it, it changes all the time. You need vegan, I can do vegan. You need gluten-free, I can do gluten-free. You need vegetarian, I can do vegetarian, because I've done it all with my family. <laughs> and, and I try to accommodate all of them. Why? My heart is so that they can enjoy the one another at the table, at my table. Now, I know that some of you are sitting there thinking, there's no way on earth I'm letting anybody into my house. I know, because I've talked to some of you. <laughs> I know, because when I preached this in Petersburg, one lady looked up at me stricken. I said, I know. I know what you're thinking. There's no qualifier for this. It doesn't say, if you have the gift of hospitality, be hospitable. 
It says, be hospitable. And if you don't enjoy doing it, it doesn't matter. Do it without grumbling. And so wherever, whatever hospitality looks like, it, fine, you don't want anybody in your home. You, you go pick up some food and you take them to the park and enjoy a meal together. The point is to embrace people. And in fact, when it's used in the New Testament, the meaning really is to extend it to strangers, to bring strangers into your midst and to, and to take care of them, to feed them. You can see the importance of that when you see the importance of the breaking of bread that Jesus presides over. In the moment of your hospitality, you are opening the door for Jesus to come into a person's life. You are inviting them to have that same revelation that the two disciples had on the road to Emmaus. They saw Jesus. They saw Jesus. Your hospitality allows people to see Jesus. It's the giving away. It's the walking in it and the giving away. You know, Job didn't have an easy time in his life, right? We all know about Job's sad life, right? He, Job walked with God to the degree that he took care of, he, he made sure he offered sacrifices to cover his children, just in case they did anything. His, his, his children were close with one another. They would eat in, in each other's houses, on feet and have feasts together. And so one day Satan comes into the presence of God and and brings attention. He's like talking to which I'm I would love to have been in that situation, but God says, "Have you considered Job? Look at this awesome guy Job." And Satan's like, yeah, he just is serving you because you have taken such good care of him. But if you take away all of the things you have given him, let's see how he feels about you. Well, God had great confidence in Job, and he said, all right, go ahead. And he gave permission for Satan. He just said, you can't kill him, basically. And so then we know what begins to happen. That day, the report comes to Job like crazy thing, winds came and blew the house down. <laughs> I wonder where we got our fairy tale from. And killed his children. And all of his livestock died. And servants died. Everybody was dying. He was losing all of his income through his livestock. His wife was saying, just curse God. And then it happened to him physically. He had physical ailments. Can you imagine boils covering you? He was really tormented. And he would have liked to have just died. Then he had friends, so-called helpful friends, that were not helpful. And so most of the book is the, are the woes of Job. So if you want to feel better about your life, then you just take a look at the life of Job, right? He gives you perspective. But it says, let's see, in chapter 42, Job arose 
tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I have come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. And in verse 42, this is the the power of what we're talking about today. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they heard. They heard Jesus himself. And they still didn't see. And then came the breaking of bread. And what does it say? They they saw. They saw this is Jesus. And Job, through his trial, says, I now have seen God. And as a result of that, the Lord blessed his latter days, basically doubled everything that he had had. And in the land there was found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. Do you know how rare for women to be given an inheritance? Usually they were the the ones being traded out. They were the currency that the fathers would use. Not Job. Job gave them an inheritance. He empowered his daughters. He had the heart of Jesus, really, because this is what Jesus did. Sorry, that's me getting off because as a daughter, you know, I got a delight in that. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. Why? Because he saw God. He saw God. And today, I don't know what your relationship is like with Jesus necessarily. Maybe you've heard about him. Maybe you come in here and you say, I don't get it like they get it. I, I hear and I even can understand with my mind somewhat, but I haven't seen yet. I haven't seen the living Christ yet. Well, we're going to, in a moment, come to the table of the Lord And Jesus presides over that. And that will be a moment of transformation for you. There's a a book that I like. You may have heard me mention it called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Anybody read that book? Okay, really? Raise your hand if you have read that book. One, two of you? Okay, you all should go out and buy this book. It's just a little book. The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. He was a monk. And 
There was nothing special about this monk. He cooked. That's what he did. That was his job as a monk, was to cook. But this cooking monk grasped the presence of the Lord. And so he says this. He says, lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. Isn't that what the two disciples found out? Jesus was nearer to them than they thought. And as they lifted up their hearts, as they had a meal in company with Jesus, they found out how near he was. This is why I like Brother Lawrence. It's all pretty simple for him. And I feel like it describes my life. It is not necessary to have great things to do. I turn my little omelet in the pan for the love of God. What is it that you do? You do it for the love of God. And your common life becomes uncommon. You invite Jesus to preside over your little meal with your little omelet that you turned over in love of Christ. And suddenly, you're in the presence of the living Jesus. And anybody that you share your omelet with is also in the presence of Jesus. It's really not hard. You invite people into your presence. You share a meal. You break bread with them the bread that Jesus presides over in your life, and you invite them into this journey with Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? We are uncommon people, not because we live some amazing life, but because Jesus has come into our common lives. Praise the Lord. And everything changes in the common places with the uncommon Jesus. Amen? And so I'm going to ask if the worship team will come. We're going to break bread with Jesus at the table of the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all nations forever and ever. What Ephesians is to me is an uncommon life. And often we think, well, I don't see God at work like I see it in other people. You know, I, all I can do when I read this verse is look at my life because it says that he does it according to what? According to the power that's at work within us. And so what power is at work within me? Is it the living Savior. And so how, how does that power work in us? If you go back a couple of verses, this is what it says, Paul's prayer for the church. This is why I bow my knees, from whom the whole family from Christ in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, isn't that good? You can be strengthened according to the riches of his glory. 
that he would grant you this to be strengthened with might through his spirit. Okay, so what we're going to see is that this power is at work within us through the working of the Trinity. We see that his, that his spirit is strengthening, strengthening us, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, Ooh, faith of Christ within you, the living word of God. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And here we have the Father. You may be filled with all the fullness of God. To be filled with the fullness of God, the faith of Christ, and the strength of the Holy Spirit. The common becomes uncommon. Amen. I'm going to ask if our ushers will come. They're going to begin to distribute. As, as you're taking communion, those of you that are gluten-free, there is a gluten-free one on there for you if you need it. We're just going to take a moment to worship Jesus. And as we do, I want you just to offer your common life up to the Lord. What is in your hands, what is in your life. And I want you to invite the Messiah, the living Savior, into your common places today.